Hooked on Health, a Go Loud original. You're very welcome along to episode four of the Hooked on Health podcast. Last week, we were chatting to David Gillick. Great response to that. Uh, David getting ready now to commentate and give his analysis on the Olympic Games, which are going to come around in a few weeks' time. Exciting times, Eric Donovan, uh, with the Olympics. I know we've spoken before that it's one of the kind of great regrets of your career that you didn't go and didn't get a chance, as you mentioned last week, to get the tattoo with the Olympic rings. But I'm sure you've worked the 2016 Olympics on the TV too. You must be massively looking forward to this coming around in Tokyo in a few weeks. I am well. I I love the Olympic Games. Really, they, they there's just something about them. They're really really special. And for a boxer, I mean, it's the pinnacle. It really is the pinnacle. And I know for, like in 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 uh, David Gillick's case as well. You know, for athletics, you know, it's their pinnacle as well. And, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those kind of uh, moments every every four years where people actually wake up to boxing. They're actually alert to boxing and they know about boxers and they know about you know their profile their background you know and sadly it takes an olympic games to kind of bring it to the to the fore like that but um but boxers certainly won't uh won't be won't be upset about that because you know they it gives them the platform and that profile and and the exposure this team which are actually sending uh, on the boxing for the olympics this year like it's a new team in many ways compared to 2016 when like expectations were manic that year because understandably you know Conlon had won a world amateur title Paddy Barnes had already got medals at two Olympics Katie Taylor was going in as the defending champion you had Joe Ward who it felt like if he went and boxed to his potential was going to pick up a medal 2016 didn't really happen and then a lot of those boxers have now gone off a different direction most have gone professional or stepped away from the sport at this stage it's a new look team but because Kelly Harrington has done so well at European and world games over the last Olympic cycle there seems to be a real feeling that Kelly at least could bring a medal back from Tokyo. Yeah, definitely. Kelly Harrington is one of the, uh, I suppose, strong favourites to bring home a medal for Ireland. The women's team probably are very strong going out there. Uh, they're proven, they're, te- they're proven, tested, and uh, have delivered on the on the European and world stage. So you've got Aoife O'Rourke, Michaela Walsh, and Kelly Harrington, and the three of them have won international medals, major medals. So. Yeah, if they get a good, good, good run out here, then they could come back with some silverware. Then you've got the likes of Kurt Walker, who is a former European champion, uh, qualified based off his ranking system, his point system. Uh, so he never really had to kind of box in the ring to qualify, which I'd be a little bit worried about that because over the last year or two, he hasn't really been in any meaningful competitions or or fights. Uh, so that could possibly go against him. I would have likened him to have that competition recently in Paris like everybody else, but he didn't because because of his ranking system he got through or his point his point system. Um so and then you've got, you know, Emmett Brennan, Aidan Walsh and Brendan Irvine who's going for a second Olympics. And those guys like, you know, are really just hoping for to get a break out there and if they do, they could seize that opportunity. So uh, it's going to be exciting. I'm really looking forward to it, especially after the Rio Olymp- uh, the, the Rio Olympic Games. They were an absolute disaster on so many levels, um, but especially for Irish boxing, you know, with the whole Michael O'Reilly failed 
you know, dope test um, to the controversy around Michael Conlon's fight, to Joe Ward. A bit of controversy even in Joe Ward's fight as well around the refereeing of that, the handling of that. And we sent our biggest team and best ranked team ever to a Rio Olympic Games that promised so much and delivered absolutely zero. So we have a lot to... Uh, you know, we have to. Hopefully, we can redeem ourselves in Tokyo and and bring home some uh, some silverware. Yeah, and there's a super fight coming up at the start of next month too, involving uh, Michael Conlon, probably one of the biggest Irish professional fights we've had in a long time. Where you've got the former amateur world champion in Michael Conlon up against TJ Doheny fighting for the first time ever in Ireland, uh, former world professional champion, and whoever wins that is going to be well placed to go have a shot at a world title too. It's a long time, Eric, since we've had a fight that big in this country. It is. It's huge. And it's great for Irish boxing. You know, we haven't... I don't think... It's been a very long time since we've seen this calibre of, of opponents face off each other. So, um, And it's going to be a good fight. It's going to be a really, really good fight. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be intriguing. It's going to be interesting. TJ Dohany is a very clever fighter. You know, like Michael Conlon would probably be slightly the, the slight favourite in this. Just down to his I suppose his amateur pedigree and you know the kind of trajectory that he's on at the moment and plus he got a win over uh the Romanian um the Romanian fighter Haluba uh I think that or Baluba yeah who who had beat TJ Dohany recently and Michael had got a win over him so Michael is probably the slight favorite but trust me this is this is a, going to be a tough fight TJ Dohany is not going to get in to lose you know he's a very proud man, and he puts a lot of work and effort into into his camp, and he's going to want to bounce back and try and get back into world title contention. So the the risk reward of this fight are huge. You know, I mean, if TJ comes up short in this fight, could be possibly I don't know could you know he could be in the final stages of his career, um. But if he wins, he's back in for a world title shot. You know, and try to get back that world title that he. Uh, won incredibly in, in in Japan that time. So look, it's brilliant for Irish boxing. It's great that these two guys have, are brave enough to put the put it all on the line against each other. And um, I'm I'm just looking forward to it. Yeah, that unification fight between Donny and Danny Roman, which was won in the end uh, by Roman, was like one of the best fights we saw two years ago. I would love to see those two go toe to toe again. Uh, but probably a lot of. Uh, different uh, bumps in the road that might well have to be met before that could potentially happen let's have a chat about this week's guest then uh, because you've gone for someone who again has a bit of a sporting influence here in terms of he's I think quite beloved within GA circles particularly for the comedy that he does this is Rory O'Connor who I'd imagine most people would know Merrick as Rory's stories yeah, so we've got Rory O'Connor on and he's my fourth guest um, I went for Rory because uh, he's a high profile in Ireland. Well, he's a, he's got a huge social media following and he has provided a lot of entertainment to people over these last uh, couple of years, which have been very difficult throughout the whole lockdown period. And um, But not only that, is that he speaks so candidly as well about issues that I'm very passionate about around mental health, emotional health, and he uses his platform to be able to deliver important message as well. And I have a lot of similarities with Rory in in terms of like our school experience experiences are quite similar. He he finished up school not feeling very adequate about himself, and I was the same. Instead of feeling adequate and developed, I I felt like um, inadequate and 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 I regressed. So. 
I've a lot in common with him and you know he's a great talker you know and um, he made a great contribution to the podcast does that say a lot maybe about the school system as well Eric because you're saying that maybe it wasn't as easy for you as possibly some of the other people in your class like I often find that everything is kind of laser focused towards the leaving cert where yeah, the leaving cert is almost like the gateway to whatever you're going to do next whether that's to go to college whether it's to get an apprenticeship everyone has to go to the leaving cert and there's all this pressure to try and do as well as you possibly can if you're not the most book learning of people that can be very difficult to actually be chasing that when maybe your skills might be elsewhere yeah hugely like i think with my past experiences anyway in school that i left thinking that i was not good enough useless inadequate you know not very academic at all not capable even my vocabulary and everything when i left school at the time wasn't great and um I remember going back into third level education. I was 27 years of old. I had such a fear over me that I, and that fear was an un, kind of a, based on my past experiences of primary and secondary education. But what I didn't realize is that during, that, during those times, primary and secondary, I wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready. And some people develop at different stages in life. Some people are really developed at a, uh, at a better at a younger age and ab- and more adequately able to deal with the school curriculum and and everything that that entails but i also think in the house the home is the most probably one of the most important parts for people with their education you know you need to have that good kind of structure and routine not only in school but a home in your house in your own household and i didn't really come from an educated family like my mom and dad left school when they were only very young as well, like they, they, they don't even think they'd done their junior search. So they were working, like hardworking people from a very early age. So education wasn't a real importance or there was no real emphasis put onto it. So I think that can be a struggle for people as well. You know, if, um, if they don't get that kind of support around their education at home as well as in school. But I think the message that Rory delivers is brilliant because, and I try to... I, I tried to beat off this drum as well. It's that regardless of how your primary and secondary education goes, you know, if it goes great, that's brilliant. But if it doesn't, that doesn't mean you're not good enough. It doesn't mean you're not capable, you're not willing or, you, you know, you're not skilled enough. You just maybe aren't ready yet. And you just maybe haven't um, identified or discovered your true potential you know, that there might be a different way for you to learn than the old traditional schooling uh, way of teaching or the, the, the traditional way of teaching. So schools are becoming a lot more inclusive, like even with, with youngsters, like my own son, my two sons, uh, they, like my youngest son, Troy, who's in primary school, a lot of the tables are grouped together now, you know, like when I was in school, I was on my own. Now they're taught to work with each other, help each other, support each other. Students are allowed to do that. But before, if I even caught, was caught looking in the direction of the person that was beside me, you know, I, I would have gotten big trouble, you know, and I might be looking for a bit of assistance or a hand. But now they encourage that. They encourage kids to ask for that help, ask for that support. So I could never ask for that. I always felt like if I ask for this help or a bit of support here, I'm going to get in trouble. You know, so then I just had to sit down, keep my mouth shut and try and stay out, just try and stay out of um, out of sight, <laughs> basically. But, you know, nowadays it is more inclusive. It's a lot more helpful. And um, I think Rory, Rory 
Rory talks about that brilliantly, and uh, I I try to I try to speak about that every time I go and speak in schools as well to tell students that look, try your best, but like at the end of the day, if it's not good enough, it doesn't mean it's the end of anything. It's just, um, it's just a part of your journey through life, and you know it's when one door closes, another one opens. You just keep keep working towards finding your path. And in terms of your journey, was it very tricky to go back to college at twenty seven? Because I, like. Most people go through this kind of traditional route where they're maybe 17 or 18 when they go to college and they go into their undergrad at that point. And it's almost like a straight a straight jump from school to there. So it's almost like you finish your leaving cert and then you have the summer off and off you go to college. You go back a bit older, it brings its own challenges. Like, how did you find it going back a few years older? Yeah, I found it challenging. Like, there was, there, there was huge anxiety over me and a lot of apprehension, like about, oh, what's this going to be like? Because I was trying to not trying to I was actually uh relating it back to my own previous experiences which were quite negative um and with that with that I was trying to find I was trying to find the reasons why I was going back and there was good people in my life who encouraged me to go back and they did say to me you know Eric maybe you weren't ready at that time maybe you're ready now from listening to you from speaking to you I think you are ready like these are good friends that I had in my life like mentors and people who were helping me out and when I went back I was absolutely struck by um, how inclusive it was but also how helpful and supportive it was like I was able to speak with the lecturer on a equal level and not feel like um, anxious or about getting into trouble or worried about getting into trouble if I if I if I asked a question or stuff like that you know there's a lot of these past experiences can stick with you and what I realized afterwards was that no this is a very different environment now you know I've grown a lot more I've matured a lot more and I'm in a an equal place with all of these people who are different ages different genders and just uh, different backgrounds and we were all the one we we're all studying the one subject and we we're all helping each other and we we're all trying to learn as um, student counsellors and psychotherapists so like it, it was brilliant and after a few weeks I loved it I really thrived in that area then and I was like wow this this is this is pretty good why I don't know why I had so much anxiety and fear over this because it was actually the complete opposite of what I had imagined yeah, sounds to me like 27-year-old Eric Donovan was a much better place to do that than he would have been at 17. In terms of bravery and when it comes to resilience, and look, on this podcast, we talk about resilience in different ways each week. But look, I think it can't be easy if you're someone like Rory Stories who puts a sketch up every few days or generally, I think, about every week during lockdown. Sometimes a bit busier, depending if there's loads of things that he can spoof along the way. But it takes a certain bravery and resilience to put that up because I have seen glowing comments on some of his sketches i have seen people rip into him on social media and other ones and no matter what the reaction is and i'm sure he has to read down through the comments and see them he has to go back out and be creative and do something else the next week he's in that space where you know it's so fickle social media you know you can be the best in the world one second and you can be an absolute like the worst you know comedian ever in the next sentence you know and that's the that's the kind of space that he's trying to make a living in make a career in but he has said it himself that there was times where he used to let all of the negative comments overwhelm him 
and now he has just learned how to just let it go you know that he's putting out the work there because he enjoys it that's what he loves to do and i agree some of it is brilliant and some of it is so cheesy and some of it's not great at all but at the end of the day it's it's a guy that's just trying his best to bring a bit of entertainment and fun to people's lives if you like it great if you don't then why do you have to feel the need to come in and say oh that's crap or this is just change the channel go on you know you don't have to I don't know how people get their kicks out of trying to knock people down, especially people who are just trying to bring a bit of, you know, a bit of uh, entertainment and a bit of light-hearted fun to people's lives. And he, I think Rory has found found a right balance with all of that now. And and like I say, sometimes I'm in. The, sometimes I can be in the stitches with some of his videos, and others then they're just so cheesy that you'd be just like, no, don't find it funny at all. But hey, you get, you know, it's not about that. It's about he's putting it out there stepping up every single day regardless of the comments positive negative whatever and he's just doing something that he loves to do and i think that's brilliant trust me i know exactly what this is like because working with off the ball where we now put out youtubes of everything eric at this stage we stream everything that goes out the first comment is positive usually the next seven will be positive as well if somebody decides to put a negative comment at the top be prepared that there's probably going to be a string of negativity below. And whether we like to admit it or not, we always have a look to see what people are saying along the way. And to be honest, if you took any of it to heart, it would be very difficult to keep doing what you're doing. But it takes, I think, that resilience to maybe take a bit of feedback from what you see, be able to actually just brush off some of the stuff that's nonsense and people who are clearly trolling. And then you go back and you do what you do. And I think that's really what Rory does that's very entertaining. And we won't kill too much more time here because you've got quite a lengthy chat with him. But I was just thinking from the chat that you had with Rory, and people are going to hear it in a moment too, is that I, having listened to the chat already, like I really enjoy the fact that he realized along the way that after creating a massive platform, that he actually had the possibility then to speak back about different things. And like he's particularly strong on, you know, the ideas of young males maybe coming out and actually speaking out, Eric. And, you know, the idea of people getting caught up in addiction and maybe reaching out and helping people along the way. That's a very powerful message to give when you could just be doing cheap gags all the time. Yeah, no, it's huge. And that's one of the reasons why I admire him. And I, I'm very fond of, of, of Rory because he's over a million followers on social media. But you know, he uses his opportunity to speak about the important social issues and the important issues in relation to mental health and, and our emotional health and, you know, shares his own story as well, candidly enough. So, like, you can't ask for any more. He's a very down-to-earth person, you know. He's a likeable fellow, you know. He's just like your next-door neighbour, you know, who's just getting out there and he says to himself that sometimes he's, he has to pinch himself, you know. Just recently, I actually uh, saw him on social media playing. He was playing in the uh, the Irish Open, the Pro-Am. And, uh, Don't click any, yeah. Yeah, so he, and he was talking about how, um, you know, he had to pinch himself, like, to be standing up there with all these great people. And you know what? He's worked hard for that, and he deserves to be there. And like like you said, Will, he has, he is, uh, he's saying all the right stuff, and that's the mo- most important thing. All right, well, let's hear the chat then. This is what happened when Rory Stories, Rory O'Connor, sat down with Eric. My next guest I'm delighted to introduce, he is a comedian, an author, a mental health advocate, and somebody I really admire for the work that he does. His name is Rory O'Connor, but you may know him as Rory Stories. Rory, welcome to the Hooked on Hell podcast. How are you keeping? Pleasure, Eric. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. All good. Well, it's great to have you. 
I've been thinking about this and looking forward to this now for a few days. And I was thinking the other day actually about a quote that I once read. They say laughter is the medicine for the soul. And I'm just wondering if you are aware of the amount of medicine that you are providing to people with your online content and your your comedy during these difficult days. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because it's probably only recently in, in during the, the pandemic I, I've 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 understood that. So like I've been like unbelievably active on on social media since I suppose last March, like throwing out COVID content and I just realized the importance it is to people's well-being and 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 like out straight like there's a lot of the videos I make that I don't particularly find funny myself and I know the haters would love to hear that but I suppose I'm I'm just giving the audience what they want and and just the feedback has been so positive in the last year because I you know I just would picture this you know uh someone isolating like a, an old woman or, 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 a, or a middle-aged man at home and and he, he's down and out and, and if he gets a giggle out of, of my observation on a certain scenario we're going through well then that's what it's all about so this year more so than ever i've really understood that how important it is that people have a bit of a laugh and if i'm able to provide it for them well then that that's great you know ah well you're providing them all right rory like some of them to be really funny and we'd be in the stitches but it's interesting to hear you saying that that you don't find some of them funny so what happens then who decides what goes out what doesn't good question so like it took me like it took me um kind of a few years to find my, my niche because at the end of the day comedy is subjective so you're never going to please anyone and i had to take my fair share of criticism off people especially likes of twitter that just wouldn't enjoy your humor and listen i fully i fully accept that but what I'm starting to understand is is more Irish people than not just still enjoy the simple comedy. And, mm-hmm. you know, your father, Ted, is prime example of that. And, like, again, you can say what you want about Mrs. Brown's boys, but it's still the numbers it does. Like, and, and Brendan O'Carroll kind of opened my eyes to that when he was interviewed recently and he said, um, you know, everyone knows the joke is coming, but if I didn't deliver it, people would be disappointed. Like, so... That's why, like, for, for me, like, the more I think into a sketch, the worse it goes down. Like, it's it's funny, it's hard to explain, but if I just, a simple idea, like, really harmless idea, it goes viral. So I'm just learning myself, Eric, as I go on, of what, what the people want. And, like, my opinion doesn't really matter. It's what they enjoy. And, listen, sometimes, you know, you, you, you don't land with a video and it's a bit like, oh, I, I shouldn't have done that. And you have to learn, but... Over the last year, it's kind of really gave me an opportunity to find what my audience enjoy, which again is just relatable and simple. And if you can throw in a bit of bit of comedy with that, happy days. But that's kind of what my what my my script is, if you want to call it that. Like, and you talk about criticism there, and that you took your fair share of it. I suppose it's almost part and parcel of of the job being a comedian. You know, you're not going to always please all the people all the time. Um, but I read your book, your autobiography, My Unexpected Journey to Self-Belief. I thought it was a fascinating read. I really enjoyed it. But I noticed that you're also quite critical of yourself. Yeah, like, it's funny. It, 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 I'm sure you can relate a bit to yourself. Like, um, I'm my own worst critic and and I, I constantly look for the negative. Like, and, and it's something I am learning myself uh, as I get older. And, and, you know, that, you know, I... I don't allow myself to, to you know, uh, tap myself in the back around like that. I, 
like my 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 parents and my sister and all they know I hate I hate being complimented like it's just this I, I get real awkward it's like so even when I was a young fella like at Christmas like I would have hated getting presents I always felt awkward but I loved giving them like it's just kind of <clears throat> the way I am I get most satisfaction out, out of kind of giving that and with the comedy and that it's kind of I'm constantly looking to say am I am I good enough or am I like even though you know, if you take a step back, you know, you have a million followers across social media. I've, I've written three best-selling books. I've, I've done all the venues in Ireland. I've been all over the world at Rory Stories and, you know, pretty successful on paper. But I, I struggle to allow myself that. And I, But I think that's that's what successful people do is they don't allow themselves that. And anyone in any walk of life that's successful, keep looking forward because you're nearly afraid to look back because you're afraid you might fall back on the ladder of, of triumph or of, 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 of a journey. And, and that's kind of the, the personality I am. So yeah, like I'd probably be harsh on myself at times and I doubt myself, but it, I think self-doubt is something that all humans have to deal with, you know, and, and, and overcoming that is, <clears throat> is your biggest battle. Like, because I believe that, you know, if you can tame, you know, the demon within the demon outside can do no harm. Like I honestly do believe that. So if you're happy with your own self, people can say what they want about you as long as you're happy within your own body. And that's what I believe anyway. And just wondering, at what point did you start to speak out really openly and honestly about, you know, that inner critic and, you know, mental health issues, etc. I heard you speaking actually recently. I think it was online. I don't know how recent it was, but I saw it recently online. Um, you were in some factory or something and you were speaking to the workers and you used an example of a man you know, who has the wife, has the job, has the money in his pocket, has the car and would appear to be, you know, really happy. And, but, you know, when he goes into the house and whatever closes the door, nobody knows what's going on for him. You know, that we, we, we don't really, we never really know what's going on for anybody. Yeah, well, like, <clears throat> I suppose from my point of view, the passion for mental health came from very early early doors. And you read the book, like, with the whole me in school, like, you know, I, 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 I struggled from an early age understanding what the teacher was doing or what the teacher was like talking about and it never registered with me. So the way the education system was in the 90s, as you know, in primary school was black and white, you're stupid or you're clever. And that was based on maths and, and spelling. And that's so far from the truth because the older we get, we realize we all have different talents. So I, I, I believed for a long time that I was stupid and and even when I went through my, my, my secondary school days, or I, I'd done an a, a apprenticeship electrician for a year. So whenever I, I come up to an obstacle, I just let this little voice in my head tell me, will you get out of here? You're stupid. Like, you know, and that's what I firmly believe, like that teachers have a massive impact on people from a young age. So like, you know, with that and, and with asking for help with my gambling addiction and realizing that the demons were, were too much for me and I needed to ask for help, I suppose by telling my story, like I, I, the more I talked about it, the more people approached me and, and it just all snowballed. Like, so like, even when I got up to two, 3000 followers on, on, on my Facebook would say, I was already talking about it's okay not to feel okay. And the bigger the profile got, the more I, I, I upped it because I've seen the messages. I've seen people come up to me in the street being like, Rory, uh, you're a gas whore, but thank you very much for your mental health awareness. And I've had people coming up and going, which I fully respect. Listen, I don't find you any bit funny, to be honest with you, but I think you're doing great work in mental health. And to me, <laughs> and that's pure, like pure respect because that, at least, at least he, he understands that you're still doing, you know, the right thing. You know what I mean? And, 
And like again, I spoke about in the book the time after the All Ireland final, Kerry and Dublin when a fella ran after me and and stopped me and tur- gave me this most outrageous bear hug, and he started crying and he said, "You've no idea how great it is to to, to meet you because you've done so much for me." And I walked away with my wife that day, and I honestly said, "I said I honestly don't care if people find me funny or not. If I if I continue to have that impact on pe- people's lives via social media, well then." you know, you're doing the right thing. And that's where my whole kind of mental health kind of awareness has stemmed from, from my own experience of, 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 of suffering with my own inner thoughts, you know. You know, there's so much emotion suppressed in this country, like for years and years. I actually remember reading Nelson Mandela's book a good few years back now. Um, it's called The Long Walk to Freedom. And in it, he talks about how love trumps hate because love comes more naturally to the human heart. And it's a natural thing to talk and to speak out. And it's a natural thing to be emotional, you know. And the more I actually speak out on that level, I get a lot of respect for it today. You know, like people would come to me looking for advice and some people just come along to say, thanks, you know, thanks for speaking out. It's really nice and it's special. And I know that I'm doing the right thing. As you say as well, it's about doing that, you know, doing the right thing. You know, it's the right thing to do. And um, the more the more we do it, the more we make it okay for others to do it. I want to talk about your school days because we have very similar experiences in school. Now, you went further than me, though, because you completed school. I left it. I, I think I was gone over it at 15. Um, but look, I mean, I would have preferred to be up on top of a tree in the park than sitting down behind the desk, the desk feeling inadequate, incompetent and all those things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but like, again, going back to the education is, for likes of me and you, like you know, you're at the end of the day, it's it's not what you are put here to do, or it's not you're not gonna like the amount of people, Eric, that that peak in fourth class education wise in school is unbelievable. And that's where I peaked. I swear to God, even like spelling and all now, like as of a fourth, fourth, it's actually I'm probably being sound to myself, it's probably second class because I'm doing a bit of homeschooling with the daughter there before the lockdown and, and I'd have to Google the odd question for second class. So <laughs> but, so what I'm trying to say to you is like I wasted years in school where I could have been developing my gift now, which is 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 is, is speaking or bringing people or, or understanding yeah. the human development or, or comedy, making people laugh. But I was never encouraged to do that. I was always told, shut up and get out of the classroom. Like no one stopped me saying, listen, School's not for you, Rory, but you obviously have a gift to entertain people and, and don't don't give up on that dream. But I was never told that. So, mm. like, I'm actually doing a talk at the, the principals and, and deputy principals conference now, a webinar where I have an opportunity to speak to all the, the secondary school principals. And, and that's going to be my driving force is the Rory and the Eric and all your classes. Please don't give up on them. Please understand that there's an underlying issue there with their confidence and you know, David Fitzgerald proved that on his recent program. It was brilliant, wasn't it? It was brilliant, you know, and, and these these lads who felt they had nothing to live for are now on the right road. And and sometimes it all it takes is that's why the boxing, the exercise, the UFC, the football is so important for these young people because it's very easy to get into drink, drugs, yeah. um, gambling you know, into drug dealing and all of a sudden you're dead or you're you're a heroin addict. And these could be the best footballers we've ever seen. These could be the best actors we've ever seen. No, world champion boxers. And that's like that's my real passion. Like comedy I enjoy, but really, really my heart is is in is in getting these young people 
on the right road from a young age, like not letting Eric or Rory get the fifth or sixth year, accepting they're stupid and they're going to get a dead end job and they're going to become alcoholics and become depressed and turn to drink to make themselves feel better. So that's where I'm at at the minute. Like, and it's something that especially this pandemic is going to have huge, um, you know, aftermath on mental health in the young generation. And we need to nip it in the bud now and try and get them back into what they're passionate about, you know? So it's, it's, it's definitely a, 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 a big hill to climb anyway. I've always spoke about the positive influence boxing has had on my life and I know the positive influence it has on so many other people's lives and then people talk about the gym and all of these places being very good and positive for health, well-being and all that and they and they really are. Um but and I think they're going to become even more important in the aftermath of COVID-19 because it's going to be a lot of rebuilding and a lot of people would have probably fell back a good few steps, you know. Um, but I'm just thinking about school days and thinking about influences and that growing up. Like, I always hung around with older kids growing up. And, like, I remember one stage back around 2000, 2001. I was 14, 15 years old. And I remember one of the boys in the street. He was 18 and he was getting about £80 a week on the dole. And I was like, what? £80 a week on the dole for nothing? And I couldn't wait to finish school, like, because... That was it, you know, I had no, like, there was no, I didn't feel like school gave me any options or choices. I never really felt equipped in there, you know, I always regressed in there. So anyways, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, how important is it to have good role models in life and people that you see being successful? Like you said, like, with school, like, so I would have been kicked out of, of my class, say, in my primary school. So the fact of the matter is the seven or eight lads who, who, um, who are in that group who are constantly kicked out. I know them since we're, they're good lads, like David from Shells, but they're good lads. But, you know, five out of eight, you know, one, one, one is on the run, one is in jail, one is um, an alcoholic. Um, you know, serious, serious issues they're after getting into, all because they accepted that they're, they're not going to have a, a good good way of living in society. So, yeah. like, you look at every town in Ireland, like underprivileged areas, say a council estate, right, where they have this stigma. So young lads growing up are looking at other young lads smoking weed from a young age, uh, you know, acting the bollocks, going around the place, doing all these things. And that's the way of life. And they can't wait to be old enough to start getting into that. Mm-hmm. So it's a vicious circle. But as all it takes is one role model from from these estates to, to do something with themselves and then that's the, who they have to lean on them so I can grow up and I can be Eric Donovan or I can be Rory O'Connor or I can be Joe Canning or I can be you know anyone who who these young and that's all it takes is one person to come out of of, of and that's why I, I love going back to youth reach classes for instance like and all these youth reach lads in their own heads are already written off like but for me I love producing my books saying, well, lads, I've no leaving cert. I can't spell. I'm dyslexic, but I'm after doing these books. So don't, don't put yourself into this bracket. Like give yourself a chance. And that's why it's so important that these people become role models in disadvantaged area. Like Philly McMahon is the most obvious person in, off the top of my head. Like what Philly's done for Ballymun. Like, you know, and Philly tells a great story of walking in Ballymun with the Sam McGuire, a young fella sitting, sitting on a curb and he says, uh, I know your face, mister. And Philly's like, yeah, yeah. Do I, uh, uh, did I see you on the telly? Did I feel like, yeah, I'm a Dublin yeah. footballer. 
But Joe from Ballymun, like you should yeah. be on the telly. Yeah. And Philly yeah. sat down and had a great chat with this fella. So that that's that's exactly what I'm talking about is the yeah. influence that these people have. And Paddy Christie had the same influence on Philly McMahon and Davy Byrne and all these other lads. So it's all about role models in society. Like, yeah, you're so right, and it's so important. Like, do you know? I did all those things growing up. All those other things, like I did football, running, basketball, swimming, everything. We in, in our estate, we used to play this game called gouts, and we used to play it for hours and hours all through the summer holidays, and we did rounders and all that other stuff as well. But once the drink and the drugs started to seep into the estate, you very quickly become a product of your environment, and. It's not like anybody like coerced me or bullied me down into some alleyway or twisted my arm or anything like that. It's not like I it just it seemed cool. And I just wanted to be like the rest of my peers and be a part of the gang. I wanted to be involved. So monkey see monkey do. And that's it. But it's so important that people who, you know, people from these estates that, you know, that make it out or like that make it to a successful level is highlighted like yourself that you know you're releasing best-selling books speaking on the tv actually funny enough i was speaking on the, uh, well i was working for rt back in 2012 um and i was working on the olympic games olympic games that i should have been at by the way but look that's you know my own fault and it's a story for another day but i have to accept that so rt asked me would i work as a pundit for them and you know i was so nervous a massive opportunity really really nervous about the whole thing and but anyway did a good job and a few weeks later i was in my hometown and somebody who i went to school with who was a bit ahead of me in school bumped into me and he said hey eric yeah you did brilliant on the, the brilliant on the olympics there you know you came across as somebody who was so educated even though you're not <laughs> like you know i didn't know what to say i didn't know what to do I went from pure elation to deflation in the space of about 10 seconds. I think I said thanks and just laughed and walked away. Yeah, I, I, Irish mentality. That's like like the, the, the good old Irish begrudgery. Like that's to me what I took away from that is is they can't accept that you are like, you know, and like, again, like the word bright annoys me. If you say, oh, he's very bright, you automatically think of the leave with certain 600 points. Like that's that's the Irish culture of the word bright. And like... You know, you're clearly bright. You're a very successful boxer on, on the on the way up. Um, you know, I've done books. I do all these shows, so there's a bit of brightness there. But when it comes to the classroom, you know, you're 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 dark. You're as dark as dark can be, if you want to call it that. So again, it's mindset, and and it's all it's 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 all this whole way of Irish culture for such a long time, where it's like. In Ireland, you have to go to school, you have to get a good leave cert, you have to go to college, you have to get a pension, you have to get a mortgage, then you have to go to mass and then you have to die along the road somewhere. And that's your life where people need to break that mold. Like, you know, and that's what I'm passionate about is I, I don't have any of that. I done it all backwards. Like, you know, I, I had a child before I was married. I got married before I had a house. I had to move my whole family back into my parents' house um, to save for a mortgage. I've done it all arse ways, but here I am now in my own home and I have my mortgage and, and things are looking up. But people have to be given that ray, ray of hope, you know. But you managed to change your life. You managed to turn the whole thing around and now you're so successful. And, you know, from reading your book as well, something that really struck uh, struck me and jumps out at me is there's an underlying theme to your to your story and that's a, re, a, a resilience, you know. It's a reluctance to give up. Tell us a little bit about that resilience because... You know, there's kids out there struggling with that word today and they're struggling with finding that, you know, and you talk about mindset as well. 
about the resilience, about the mindset and the ability to be able to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and go again, even in the midst of all the setbacks? Well, for me, it's a good question. So for me, like I... I know how it felt outside the casino back in 2013 where suicide was was very strong in my mind and I wanted to leave because I felt that I was worthless and I felt that there was nothing there for me and and and, and I I reached out and I asked for help and, and and it turned my life around so for me you know I get asked like what what why are you so motivated and driven and the fact of the matter is I'm afraid to go back to to that person I'm afraid to go back to that 10 euro an hour call center job where I was just so depressed. And even sitting in them call centers, I felt this, this feeling going, there's way more in you than this, like, you know. But <clears throat> I was afraid to take the first step. And it took me to hit rock bottom and ask for help with my addiction to get me back on, on the straight and narrow. And I started off with the Rory Stories blog in 2013. And I was willing to fail. Like, I was willing to fail. And I failed a lot. Like, I got, again, the online abuse is a perfect example of that. And, and, and doing shows where people wanted their money back. And people asked, you're not a comedian, give me your money back. And this happened to me. But I still, again, the gut feeling within me just kept me driving on and kept me moving forward. And, and a, bit of, a bit of pure thickness. And that's, that's the, the Irish way, pure dogginess where, yeah. you know, like proven, proven doubters wrong is a lovely feeling. And that's like, you know, I think it was it. Lord rest him, Kobe Bryant are one of these big guns saying that, that what's their biggest drive is proving all these haters wrong, like every day of the week, like, you know what I mean? LeBron James speaks about it as well. And, you know, I don't pay too much heed to haters, but if I ever look for motivation, I just I just look at them and I go, right, open the horse again, boy. Let's go at this. Let's pull up the sleeves and let's drive on because, you know, you read the book about the, the experience I had in the Hinch that time when I got trolled on Twitter and I ran up and down the beach in the Hinch at five o'clock in the morning in the pissing rain, roaring and shouting at the sky going, you won't fucking get the better of me. And I lost my mind completely. But I come home and I had a shower and, and I felt that I, 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 I coped with it because getting on Twitter or getting online and responding to these haters is not the thing to do. And I knew that. But I had to get the frustration out of me. And it was running up and down the beach in the Hinch on my holidays in the rain was my therapy to make myself just feel that bit better. And it worked, you know. So like, I, suppose, I hope that's kind of in some roundabout way ans- answered, answered the question, you know. No, no, it does. It totally does. As I said in your book, there is that re- reluctance to give up and a desire to succeed. And it's so admirable, to be fair, you know, and a lesson for us all. I, I always say that I never worry about anyone falling down, you know, because it's in falling that we learn. But failure to me is about staying down and not getting back up. You know, that's what failure is. But it's 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 interesting to hear you talking about, you know, how you would self-criticize when you're when you would under deliver or you would you or, or you would fail, so to speak. But it's really all just part of the learning process, isn't it? Yeah, like it's it's so true, and like it's it's a hard pill to swallow, and it, it's difficult at the time. Like you know, you know, you're 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 grinding your teeth, and you know, I'm sure you've experienced that in a couple of fights where you just man got the battery, and you had to go off, and you had to throw the towel over your head, and have that that conversation with yourself after the fight. And it's no different than any walk of life. Like I do the show and I go away saying, well, you didn't prepare Rory. Like you can't keep 
messing up here. You didn't put in the work. Stop boxing yourself in the nose. Start preparing properly. And as it took me six years before I actually scripted the show, I just used to go up on stage and hope to be Jesus that the people would laugh at me. Do you know what I mean? Like pure, pure risk take. But now I, I, I've learned the hard way and now I'm, I'm preparing much more than I was, you know. What do you do when exercise just doesn't work for you? I mean, when you're going through a bit of a whatever turmoil in your life or struggle or difficulty. Um, and I hear you speaking all the time about the positivity of exercise and the health benefits to it. But, you know, sometimes we might need something more. And I'm just wondering what other sources or resources do you have? like a support group or a support team around you that you can use if you need to? My exercise is my go-to. And like, as you know, there's nothing more frustrating when you come home from your run or you do your your your, your hit workout and you take your shower and you know that the cloud is still there. Like you're like, ah, this is a stubborn one. So for me, I go back to the drawing board. And for me personally, a big go-to thing is deleting my social media for a couple of days. So taking myself away from that world of social media like so like i don't really want to read anything negative about me or i don't want to see any negative news so i distance myself from that and i go back to the old days where you know your phone is just for texting and ringing and i have about five different people that i that i very close to, and i ring one of them and i just let them talk to me like you know they don't necessarily tell them that I'm depressed. I just, I say, listen, I want to chat. And they might tell me a funny story or reminisce on old times. And it just makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, and just simple things like that. But but unfortunately, Eric, some days you have to just, you have to just get through, through the day. And there's some days, especially now more than ever, where I can't wait to go to bed. Like I just, it's not lifting. My mental health is not improving. And I just want to go to bed and sleep and hope the next morning I feel a bit better. But for me, it only it lasts no longer than three days. I, I generally have three days of bad mental health where <clears throat> I think of everything negative. I can't think of anything positive. Like, you could tell me, Rory, everyone's great, blah, blah, blah. But I, I, there's a blockage in my mind. I can't, I can't register that. Like, And then... Like when when the cloud lifts and the and the switch is positive, I often look back on why was I so down about that? Now the sun is shining, I'm listening to music, I'm feeling good, I can't wait to make another video, I can't wait to 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 do a podcast or whatever. You know what I mean? So I'm just learning to to manage my mental health and I've accepted, you know, that I'm not gonna have good days every day. And I think that's very important for people to understand that. And 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 not but not to not to hold it on on themselves like you know because if you if you have a seed on the in the ground right and if you put a lot of water on this seed it becomes roots and branches and it becomes this big massive obstacle where if you have a little thought in your head that that's niggling at you if you keep it to yourself what's happening is that going to grow bigger and bigger and all of a sudden it'll overpower you and that's where suicide thoughts come in and that's where like you feel there's no hope for you like you know what I mean and it's just a matter of stopping it nipping it in the bud and talking to a friend or, or doing what makes what makes you feel better. So that's just, again, I'm not a psychologist. It doesn't work for everyone, but just there are my little tips that I try and go to. But some days it just doesn't shift and I have a mental inner battle with myself for two or three days until I do feel a bit better, you know? Yeah, it's it's brilliant advice, Rory. It really is. You know, you talk about nipping it in, trying to nip it in the bud early. You know, even just that simple little act of articulating that heavy feeling or that dark thought with somebody that you trust somebody that you know and you feel comfortable with 
you know, it, it almost takes the power out of it. You know, it takes. It, it reminds me of my interview with Ushi McConville, and he talks about the snowball rolling down the hill effect. You know, if you can catch it early, it stops it from getting bigger and stronger and overwhelming you. So, yeah, I just think that's um, it's really good advice. I know you have a huge affinity to the youth of our country, and so do I. You know, I love speaking with them, and anytime I do school speaking circuits or school speaking tours or anything like that. I always think about the you know the person that's suffering in silence, the person that's not able to articulate that feeling, that you know that thought, or to you know express themselves. And you'd nearly you'd love to be able to do it for them, but that's why I always say at the at the beginning of every talk that I do, I always say, look, I wish I had somebody come and share with me what I'm going to share with you when I was at school, but I didn't have that luxury. So for the next forty five minutes, just try and be mindful and present and alert and you never know you could hear a couple of nuggets that might have a, a huge positive impact on your life i want to ask you about your social media and you know it's social media and online and technology and all has become a huge part of your life and you know you've made a career out of it it's a huge part of your livelihood and you've shot up to the ranks up to superstardom so to speak with over a million followers and you know, there's pluses and minuses to that. Advantages, disadvantages. And you spoke about them earlier on, like with the whole being exposed to that negativity, that criticism. But also there's, you know, there's equal amount of, if not more, positivity and goodwill out there. Um, but I'm, I'm just wondering if you ever get the chance to like just completely switch off. Leave it all down, devices down, social media down, whatever. Just switch it all off for a couple of days. Can you, can you do that or is that just impossible? Yeah, so good question. I kind of, I just let nature run its course. So there's a time when I know the 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 steam is coming out of the ears or the black smoke is coming out of me. I know I'm starting to burn, and you know, again with the addictive personality, I need to just kind of take a step away because. It's like, you know, you make a video and it doesn't go down well and you make another and it doesn't go down well. Then you're chasing, like, you know, you're chasing because even though, like, and you, like, it's funny how do you, even though you've done videos for seven years, like, you you might make one that doesn't go down well and you feel that that's, that sums up everything about you. Like, you, you, you fail, like, and that's, again, the human mind negative where people mightn't even see this, but you've made so many, you kind of don't have to prove to anyone. Do you know what I mean? But... I feel myself stressing and that's when I need to say, right, Rory, take that away from that phone. So I, again, I delete the social media for three or four days. Let my mind like reset. Let, you know, let me just forget about Rory's stories, forget about making content. And it, it generally works like, you know, and like it probably is only once every maybe four or five weeks I need to do that where I just hit the, hit the wall and, and I have to delete it. Like, and Obviously, the other reason is if my mental health is in a poor place, then I delete it. But just for being bogged down and being, you know, yourself burnt out, like it's no more new training. Like you go to the gym and you're not feeling it. Your hands are not moving the way you want. You're you're tired. That's your body saying, Eric, go home, put on the spuds, have a bath and don't train tomorrow. And, and it's the same with the human mind. Like, you know, I'd be exhausted. Like, and I just have to say, right, Rory take take a step back and it's something I struggle to do I, again I, I'm sure you can relate to that you feel like you're missing out on a bit of training or whatever and same with me but 
yeah, it's something that I'm managing as I go. Like, you know, this like I probably made on average one video a day for the last year. That's 365 videos in a year. Like, that's serious. Carry on. Like, so I have to allow myself take a step back because you're burning from both ends of the cannon. You have to just say, right, I need a break here. And that's something again I, I tried to bring in, but my wife was great like that. My wife would say, give me that phone, and she'd knock off the social media. Don't turn that on for three days, and I'd listen to her, and 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 three days pass, and then you, you, you know, you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you come great. into the gym, shadow boxing, go, come yeah, on, yeah, yeah. That's it, though. Sometimes you just have to punch your way through it, though, isn't it? Look, I mean, you're never going to be jumping for joy every single day of your life. No way, no, no matter what line of work you're in. But if you're having more good days than bad days, then you're doing something all right. I often say look try not to let your wins go to your head or your losses go to your heart and just try and find that middle ground there and you'll be doing all right um you mentioned your wife it's great to hear you mention your wife emma i know she's been a huge important part of your life and a pillar of support you've been together for years and you have your own little family now and everything and you are so successful you've built this up through the tough times and a lot of setbacks but you've worked together and she's encouraged you and backed you and you know, there is a lot of success there. And some of your um, content, online content and videos are actually making light of and making entertainment out of the real life struggles that we're going through today. And I think it's good as well to make light of that. And we need humor. Humor is so important. But behind all of that, you know, you are doing the homeschooling home. So is Emma and so is many other families and dealing with the whole lockdown and the pandemic. I'm just wondering because everybody is touched by this. Everybody is affected by this. How do you cope? And how does Emma cope with the challenges that people are currently facing? I mean, have you any tips or advice for people who are in the same boat? Like, it's very difficult, like the scenario we're in now, this pandemic, because, you know, my wife doesn't get to go and have coffee with her friends. Like they live in Blanchardstown, et cetera. So she can't really go and meet them and walk around the center and probably yeah. give out about me, like, you know, which is fair enough. Like, that's what the, that's what we're doing. Yeah. And I can't, I can't go and play a game of golf with my friends yeah. or, or have a pint or go for a bit of food or go to the gym with, and, 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 and again, probably give out about, about life as well to them. And that's, that's a serious uh, therapy that we're all missing at this moment in time that, that no one really, like, we all know it's happening, but there's no word for it. And, you know, by the government making these decisions, and I know it's hard for everyone, but that's what they don't really understand is the massive impact it's having. And I'm sure you know yourself, Eric. I know people that have split up during this pandemic. You know, marriages, marriages gone by the wayside because, yeah, they probably weren't absolutely Romeo and Juliet uh, to, to begin with, but the pandemic really pushed them over the edge. You know what I mean? And you know, people at home drinking at home and and, and arguments around. Like, I can only imagine now, like, like. Like, like some of the sad stories that are out there, like young kids from the age of two to seven or eight or nine or 10 listening to parents cursing and like, God help it, domestic violence and, and physical abuse. And kids don't forget that, you know, and that's the real issue with this pandemic is when we get older, oh, daddy, I remember when you hit mommy or, 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 or mommy, I remember when you threw something at daddy. And, and it's, 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 it's just so hard on families, you know, and, and people have to understand that there's a lot of people in this, in, in the same, it, it, it's just hard. Like, you know, my, out, out straight, Eric, my wife started crying there a few weeks ago because we only had chicken and chips for dinner for our daughter because we were having a bad day and we didn't prepare a healthy meal. 
of veg and, and a roast. And my wife started crying. I'm a failed mother. Like, and this is the kind of impact because the young fellow was screaming and roaring in her ear with a newborn. And, and you know, and it's hard, Eric, is the only thing I, I suppose I could say. It's not easy for a lot of people. And, and please, God, this pandemic heads off and we can start. But there's going to be a lot a lot of pieces of jigsaw that are going to be have to put put back together when this is all over. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And that's why I heard, I, I believe there's a lot of money gone into mental health services off the new budget and, and there can't be enough because there's going to be a lot of counselling needed for, for relationships, for families, for individuals. It's just, it's a serious, serious elephant in the room, I reckon, going forward. Like, we may be all in the same pandemic, but everybody's affected differently. You know, everybody's circumstances are different. And you talk about mental health, the money they're giving to mental health is just clearly not enough. It's not enough. In the mid-1980s, there was a recession on and they gave far, far more money back then to mental health than they, than they are today. And we're in a far worse uh, place w- w- with mental health issues. But it's good to hear you talking about, you know, just the real life issues that families are struggling with day to day basis. And, you know, like we need to be a little bit more compassionate with ourselves, I think, and a bit more like loose with the rules, with the boundaries, like, cause we're stressing out over trying to reach certain heights and standards around, you know, being organized, meal plans, you know, play time, game time, work schedule, etc. Like it's just, these are abnormal times and we just have to be mindful of that. And to just remind ourselves that look, when we get out of these abnormal times, we get back to our normal routine, our normal structure. And hopefully that's, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. So that's it. But I'm thinking about these times as well for somebody like you who has had so much trouble in the past with gambling. And thank God you've done so well and you've overcome that addiction. But I would be of the opinion that, you know, you never really get cured from addiction because I'm in recovery myself and I'm very lucky to have so much support i'm part of an online kind of a, a support group a support community uh of people in recovery and i'm just thinking like do you ever find it difficult with uh, with how much exposure there is now to gambling and commercialization like and and also as well on top of that that these are very precarious times you know for people you know with the lockdown with the isolations is that ever a struggle for you yeah well like Obviously, for me, what I find kind of tough every year is obviously Cheltenham, like most kind of lads who are in uh, recovering from gambling. So, like, for me, like, heaven, if you want to call it, used to be in the local, having points, backing the horses, the noise of the Cheltenham roar, you know, everyone in the pub in great form and, and, and platters of food being thrown around and you have a day or two off work and you have a couple hundred euro there ready to spend. And that was always heaven. But like, unfortunately for me, you know, fast forward to seven o'clock that evening, boys, where's Rory? Rory's next door and the bookies back in wonky donkey in, in the steeple down. <laughs> you know, the steeple and, 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 and throwing a pen again, again. And like, that's not Cheltenham. That's not how it should be. Like, and I always wish I was one of the lads that went down and put a tenner on each race and, you know, you win and then that's it. Then they have points and then they go home and the next day they do the same. But I, I can't do that. Like I'm too full on with everything I do in life. I just, I'm either a hundred mile an hour or I'm sitting on, on the ground. So like, like my addiction now is Rory stories and hence why I put out so much content, because if I sit back and I allow myself to go, ah, Rory Stories is sorted. I'm gonna I'm gonna put an L bet on the golf this weekend. And mm-hmm. 
you just without realizing you can get back into the addiction. And I, I just, I'm too afraid to go down that road. So I just, just kind of teetotal. Like, and even again, like, like going out on a night out and ending up in a casino. I used to love that sitting there with the roulette table and me chips and, and the pure buzz of seeing the ball floating around the table and will it land on what I have and that rush of buzz like and and, and that's what, what all gamblers crave but it's accepting that you can't do this like and which is more important your your, your family your, your your girlfriend your children your wife or that ball bouncing around the roulette table you have to ask yourself a question that and to any young fella that's putting on his fiver at the weekend now and he really enjoys it I just he just needs to be aware that Listen, fair play if you can continue to do that. You know, you know, it's a hobby. But if it starts to become a daily thing and you start opening your fiver to a tenor and you start lying to mammy about where the tenor's gone, you know, that's when boom, you need to take a step back. And that's like I don't want to be at Michael Collins rebellion against every bookie in Ireland to, to, to close them down. Like listen, if you can gamble safely, best of luck to you. But there, there's one of Rory in every gang who can't and they're being crippled by the advertising at the minute. They're trying their best to, to stay away from gambling, but every soccer match in the telly, there's, you know, have a bet on with us. Like, and that, that, that's difficult, you know what I mean? So I do think they're going to have to start, you know, putting some sort of, of, of tags on these, like, and, and, and toning them down a little bit as time goes on, because it, it, le- it leads to a lot of suicides. Like, like you know, Peter McNulty from Port Leash is, is a perfect example. I spoke about him in the book. Like, Peter got himself into debt and seen no way out and took his life. Like, you know, and I had a great chat with his brother Maliki there about a year ago. I rang him about the book, about mentioning Peter, and he mentioned about this whole issue with gambling. And it's just a massive elephant in the room at the minute with the young generation with their mobile phones. So they just... They just need to be careful, is what I'm saying, and just be aware of, of how it can easily spiral our control, you know? Yeah, so I suppose then the, the, the Cheltenham advertisements and the Cheltenham races and stuff like that would kind of bring you back and you might long for it for a day or two or whatever. But it's like me, you know, I I, I, you know, I don't drink, you know, I give up drink and, you know, 99% of the time that I picked up a drink, it caused me a lot of trouble, you know, so I, me and drink just do not mix. But that doesn't stop me from sometimes looking at an advert of a pint of Guinness or something on, on, on the TV and it's looking so beautiful, cream, and I'm just like, oh, I love that. But I try and play that tape forward in my mind and I think where that's going to end up and I know it's not going to be a pretty sight. So, you know, I'm aware of that and I'm able to accept that today. And come here, Eric, just on that, because I know that's that I knew about your issue there. So from like... Is it that, because I have a friend that, well, I've, <clears throat> excuse me, I have loads of friends that, you know, just they can't drink, but they continue to do so Yeah. from an aggressive point of view. So from your point of view, just, I suppose, my own personal question is, is it that you couldn't stop drinking? Like you could drink and then on a Friday afternoon and you wouldn't be seen until the Monday morning? Or was it when you drank, you just became a bad person? Or what was it like? Well, yeah, the truth of it is like the any time I picked up a drink, well, nine times out of ten, it was always... It was always an issue. It was always a negative issue. It was always um, pa- bad decision making, poor choices, and just there was always seemed to be trouble, you know. And I was always depressed after it, and I was always apologizing after it, and always letting myself down, let my family down. And it was just one of those things where I never felt that I was like an addict or an alcoholic or anything like that because I had a vision that somebody who is like that 
is someone that needs to drink from morning to night every single day somebody that's down and out maybe homeless drinking out of a brown bag has a bottle in a brown bag or whatever that was my vision but i realized through my own recovery and therapy that alcoholism or alcoholic or an addict is somebody that's powerless over the drink or the drug that you can pick up a drink and you you can't predict the outcome and that's what it was like for me I just didn't know when to stop when I did drink, you know, but then I wouldn't drink for weeks and sometimes even months. But when I picked up the drink, it was just always a bad experience. And, you know, I tried for years to fit in with every with the, with the people who could drink. And I tried every trick in the book. You know, I tried different pubs. I tried different drinks. I tried even joining different people. Tried going out later. Tried switching from pints to bottles. Trying to, oh, every trick in the book. And the last thing I tried was giving it up. And that was the first thing that worked. But you know what? When I was faced with giving up the drink in my mid-twenties, I was uh, I, I actually thought, you know what? My life, what am I going to do? What, how am I going to get my kicks out of life? My life is over, you know? Like, to be faced with that kind of prospect. Like, cause the culture in Ireland, like, everything, every entertainment, all the all the entertainment and nights out and, and, and gigs and, and parties are all kind of associated with drinking and a huge drinking culture this country you know but we are changing small slowly but i was faced with this kind of prospect i was like oh god my life's going to be over what am i going to do but do you know what as time went on i started to see life in a different light i started to look through a different lens i started to discover more about myself and my abilities and qualities and and I started to really enjoy life and I love life and I love my recovery today and I'm not attracted to drink and I have no problem with anybody drinking or drugging or doing whatever they want to do. It's up their own choice. But, you know, I'm not attracted to that today. I'm very happy in my own skin and I love my life and I love the life that I live today. And and, and just on that, um, so what age were you and how long are you off on, I suppose? Well, I was 26 when I first went into recovery. So I'm coming up to 36 years of age now so what's that 10 years ago yeah so i had a couple of i had a couple of little blips a few a few years into my recovery but the last few good few years now have been pretty solid in my recovery so and i love it it's my preferred lifestyle today you're right like when i think of of, of that like like i i for for a year or two after it like i used to actually watch racing and pretend i had a bet on a fella like do you know what i mean just to give myself a little bit of a buzz like and then if he'd lose it say i love it i didn't lose any money or if you won't like which is pure dangling the carrot, like it's no more than oh, yeah, no more than part of sending sending you know Eric into the, into a snug there in Newbridge where the Guinness is unbelievable and and they're just doing this to you. you know you just have to get away from that environment for a couple of years or months or whatever to try and distance yourself from it you know but I like like even with addiction like I, like like I spoke about it well in the book like like like. I can manage my drink as in like, I don't get, I never get aggressive or anything or I'd rarely like fall around, but I just love a few points and a chat, but it doesn't, it doesn't do any favors to my mental health. Like, you know, that kind of way. But I, as I said in the book, if it does end up getting to a stage like, like you got to, like, I, I certainly will give up alcohol rather than taking my life. Of course. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean that much to me. Like, yeah, I, I, I love it, but if I don't, I don't love it as much as I want to live or my family. So, you know, we're never cured as addicts. Like, I know Shane McConville said this. It's just about once a gambler, always a gambler. It's just about taming your habit every day. It's like you, every, you know, in 10 years' time, something can happen in your life and you can, you can think nothing other than going on the beer and you relapse. So every day is 
is is you go to bed without doing what you shouldn't be doing is 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 a win. Like you know, that's how I look at addiction. Yeah. Anyway, I have a lot of those addictive traits, you know, and I'm very mindful of that, and I'm aware I'm aware of that, you know. I know where to come. I know where it comes from, you know, but. The thing is that the most important thing is to be conscious and to be aware and to be alert. Um, but I used to try and solve all my problems by running away from them. You know, I thought by running away from my problems uh, that they would go away, you know, but it doesn't work like that, you know. And for me, it's important that I spend most of my time around or a lot of my time anyway, around like minded people. You know, like I have good friend, great friends today who are in recovery as well and people who I can identify with and. I love my sobriety, you know, and I love the lifestyle that it, it has given me. And um, I thank God every day, you know, I thank God for my sobriety, for my recovery. And I'm not the most religious person at all, you know, but I'm a very spiritual person, you know, and I have great faith, you know, and I respect people of all faiths. And, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. If you if you can have that faith, there's a great comfort in it. Um but like my fiance Laura, she'd go out for a few drinks every now and then. She's not a, a, she wouldn't very very rarely drink at home, you know. But I would accompany her if we went out to it with our friends. And I love being out in the pub with friends who are able to handle their drink, and the conversation is good and it's flowing, and it's just I can have a diet coke or a coffee, and just really nice. I love that. I love being able to do that because I'm very happy in my own skin. I don't need to pick up a drink to fit in anymore. Yeah, you'd enjoy the chat, and it's funny you said it because. There's been a couple of race meetings in Ferry House that I've went to with the lads or the women and all, and 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 I've had it. I've had the best day ever because I've no interest in betting. The lads to be stressed off their head, back and horses, and I to be just chatting to people, and 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 it's it's a lovely feeling because I go there with a few bob, I buy a few drinks, I buy a bit of food, and I go home and. I leave in better form, you know what I mean? Where I used to go to the races, yeah, the very odd day you'd leave on cloud nine, I have to win a couple of hundred euro and everyone's great. But then I'd be in the bookies the following evening betting on Dundalk to, to try and win more money. And yeah, that, so I can relate to it out with the gang. I, I enjoy going now and I don't have it. I don't have a goof because you actually, you, you, you really, uh, everyone learns off the journey. And I learned something really good off you today is that, you know, if you have that one bet, you take a moment and you picture the next day or the day after. And it's like you with that one drink now, yeah, one pint grand, but what can, and then you just straight away snap over and you're like, right, that's grand. I'm happy out not to bet. So you're dead. That's a very good model to have. So yeah, I can still manage to go there now. I don't think I'd like to go to Cheltenham now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but, mm. but the fairy house on a new year's day, it's a tradition we all do with the, the lads and, and, and all the girls and me go for a nice meal after. And I've done that twice since my, my no gambling. And I've had the, the two best days ever. I've seen lads fucking falling out with each other over, over horses going, you told me that Ruby was going to win. And boys, we get tick with each other. I'll be like, lads. And, 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 I, and the boys, well, you shut up, you don't even gamble anymore. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'd be like, lads, like, this is not worth gambling. And they have issues themselves, but they're not willing to accept it. You know what I kind of way? So um, it's just, I suppose, the culture it is like. As well, you feel sorry for people that continue to do that, you know? And yeah. that's one of my main kind of vocal points to the young people in school is just please be yourself, right? Because it's the only way you're going to find true happiness. If you try to be fake, you go to bed at night going, that really wasn't me. Like, you know, and that's where your, your, your anxiety is really at you. So I just say, be yourself. You're going to have people that don't like you, no matter what you do in life. It's something you have to accept. Like, and something that I've accepted um, a few years ago, like with, with obviously being in the public eye, Rory stars, you're going to have people that don't like you, but concentrate on the people that do like you. 
mm. <clears throat> which again can be difficult because the human mind often wanders down the negative road and don't concentrate on the positive. And that's something again we all have to manage on a daily basis. But for the young people, just get used to being yourself, you know, and and and, and I believe that's true happiness is, is being true to yourself and, and being true to your beliefs. Like don't do anything just because everyone else is doing it, do whatever you feel is right. And I think that's 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 the true uh, meaning of life and happiness, if you ask me. Like. Rory, I'm conscious that I'm after taking enough of your time now today. And to be honest with you, I could probably talk to you for a few more hours, but do you know, I have to let you go at some point. Um, so I want to say thanks very much for being a guest on the show. You've been so good with your time and, and your contribution. And in fact, I, I found the whole conversation to be very educational and and quite refreshing really to talk about the areas that that we find difficult and uncomfortable to talk about so thanks for your input there look best wishes to you and all the family and to rory's story so keep leading keep inspiring thank you and take care cheers pleasure eric and best of luck in all the upcoming fights and hopefully see you on the big stage in vegas in the in the, in the near future that was Rory's stories in conversation with Eric Donovan. Eric really enjoyed that chat. I think people may well have seen a different side to Rory that they wouldn't have known before because I think for many people, their exposure to him was probably just looking at his clips online, uh, like them or don't like them. It uh, doesn't really matter to him, as he told you in the chat. But now they maybe know a little bit more about Rory as a person too. Yeah, so that was Rory. Uh, great chat with Rory. Um, you know, I, I think people get to see a different side to him. Like he's just a down-to-earth fellow and it's great to hear him talking about the challenges that he faces as well, like us all, you know, and even with the, the during the lockdowns, you know, him and his wife and they're trying to raise a family and the, the challenges around homeschooling and um, just kind of trying to keep things going during tough, tough times. So it's great to hear him talking about that and sharing his own experiences around gambling and the, the, the dangers of, of addiction and, his schooling experiences is brilliant brilliant chat with him and uh, I think people are going to really take a lot from it especially anybody out there who's really struggling with school or struggling with finding their way in life you know struggling to find their path I think they're going to get a, a lot of hope and inspiration from this talk look perhaps you have been sent here by Rory Stories social media after we put the podcast up if you're just joining us this is Hooked on Health it's a goal out original podcast and if you want to listen back to Annie Eric's uh, previous chats from a few weeks ago we've had David Gillick we spoke to Mary Holgrain a really good story with Ushie McConville to kick things off on episode one uh, anywhere you pick up your podcast from just look for Hooked on Health and also you can check it out on the Goal Out app if you want to go there Eric I'm still getting over at this stage four or five days on from your county Kildare knocking my county awfully out five point win despite Kildare finishing with 13 men in Port Leash last weekend uh, the Lily Whites are off to Crow Park to play Westmead in a couple of weeks time the hurling teams both under 20 and minor have won themselves big games in Leinster in the week just gone by I'd imagine as a proud Kildare man you must be very happy with how the last 10 days or so have played out Eric yeah I'm delighted honestly um, it's great to see Kildare now just hitting a bit of form and getting back to uh, the places where where we, where we want to be where we think we should be you know um Leinster semi-final Westmead that's going to be a big game but um, they had to come through a tough battle against Offaly fair play to Offaly they're on the comeback now as well and it's great to see like um, but Kildare had to dig deep Offaly tested them the whole way and then just at the end I think uh, in the final kind of stages of the game last maybe last final third um, Kildare just kind of moved through the gears you know very very fit men really uh, 
showed their kind of showed their uh, true condition in in the, in the end of that fight and uh, in the end of that match and and put a bit of daylight between themselves and Offaly but it wasn't the scoreline doesn't reflect really how tough the game was I think in the end it won by about five points but uh, but it was much tougher game, uh, match than that yeah it felt far more like an arm wrestler or a fight I think a fight is probably the right phrase to use as opposed to a match with the way things finished uh, but you can look forward to Crow Park now on Sunday week when they play against Westmead who are we looking forward to next week on the podcast Eric you've picked another uh, female athlete for next week yeah so next week we're going to speak to the Ireland uh footballer uh chloe mustaki she is an incredible athlete uh incredible woman what a powerful story she has she has been through the absolute mill and she's still at the very top of her game i think people are going to really love the podcast with chloe mustaki next week it's going to be great she was struck down by a very serious illness at a young age had to come through that so there's every aspiration of getting back into Vera Powell's squad and playing for the Republic of Ireland. She's back playing in the Women's Senior League uh, with Shelburne this season. Next week, we'll hear from Chloe Mustaki. Thanks a million for listening and we'll talk to you again next week. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app.